Wisconsin's afternoon news is on the air. Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in beautiful downtown Milwaukee. Here's John McCure. All right, Sandy Max is here. So is Greg Matzik. Debbie Lazic is on your roads. Adam Roberts is producing the show this afternoon. Hope you're having a, a great Tuesday. It is Fat Tuesday, and we're tracking some stories today. This is the three at three on Wisconsin's afternoon news. All right, Sandy, where do we start? If you have not voted yet today in the primary election, got your little I voted sticker, there is still time to get to the polls. Look, uh, yeah, I got my sticker. You got your sticker. Yes. Vote today. They're open till eight o'clock. And if you're in line, if you're at a busy polling place or at the one in Dane County that had the issue, if you're in line at eight o'clock, they will let you cast your ballots, even if you're not at the little little booth by then. So get out till eight o'clock. Supreme Court race primary is today. There are assembly races and state senate races that are in play, and many local issues. So get out. And Even vote. some mayoral races around mm-hmm. in Racine and Green Bay. So uh, it's your chance, uh, as they say, uh, if you don't vote, you can't complain. I like that saying. <laughs> yep, that's right. You want to complain? At least get out and vote. So you can do it until eight o'clock. All right. What is the second story? Netflix has begun dropping the hammer on password sharers north of the border. Yeah, so we've been talking about this for quite some time. Who Netflix? Uh, Netflix saying that if you share your password to many people outside your household, they're going to crack down. They're going to charge you an additional fee. It is happening in Canada. They have started to crack down. I think the way it goes is you're going to be allowed to share it with two households outside of your own. I think unless that proposal changed. But they're going to make you choose a primary household. That's how they're going to track this. And if it's happening in Canada, it will soon be happening in the United States. Supposedly, the the buzz has been that March, you will not be able to share passwords as you have been in the past. 100 million people, they estimate, are watching with shared passwords and not paying anything. That's a lot of people. <laughs> if you're running a business, you probably want to crack down on that. All right, what is the third thing? You mentioned it. It is Fat Tuesday today, the celebration of indulgence before the start of the Lenten season. That's right, Ash Wednesday comes up and you're supposed to fast and behave yourself, but not today. As a matter of fact, I just, uh, while Greg was doing his sports, and I never like to miss the sports, it kind of makes my heart hurt a little bit. I, I ducked out and I grabbed a punchki. There are boxes of them floating around the building. Yeah, you had chocolate on your face at uh, toward yeah. the end of my sports cast. That was uh, nice. You guys aren't going to believe this. I didn't know there was a chocolate punchki. <laughs> Is that a new thing? <laughs> Apricot, prune. You can get. You can chocolate? go very traditional with just the fruits of prune or apple. But yeah, you can get adventurous. Creativity. That round Polish pastry filled with chocolate just makes my heart happy. I'm feeling a little better for missing sports, because at least the Poonski was good. <laughs> well, you made a great pick, right? You don't you, you yeah. make it like the salmon one that's out there. They, they try and, <laughs> try and oh. hide one of those. I don't think hey. they make savory Poonski. <laughs> great tuna oh. fish. Boy, <laughs> great. <laughs> Brutal. Oh, you're right. I picked good. President Joe Biden is in Poland. Faith Abube, ABC News, is with us from the nation's capital. Good afternoon, Faith. Hey, good afternoon to you. So the president wrapping up remarks in Warsaw. Tell us, let's start with an overview, the purpose of the president's meeting to Poland. 
Yeah, so of course the president, um, you know, has been in in the area for a while, um, you know, starting with that unannounced visit to Ukraine. And he continued that message of this unwavering support that he says the U.S. uh, has for Ukraine. And basically we're in it for the long haul. And so the speech was more a rallying cry for NATO allies. You know, before uh, the president delivered his remarks, um, the administration billed this as vintage Biden, uh, essentially saying that, you know, President Biden would be talking about big ideas of freedom and democracy that he's been passionate about all his career in politics. And that's what we heard. He even called out Putin multiple times during that speech, saying that Kiev stands strong a year later and that Putin's war in Ukraine is failing. Uh, and he says that a year later, autocracies are weaker, democracies are stronger. He says there were questions early on whether NATO could actually rally support amongst its members and stand with Ukraine for this long. And a year later, their resolve and commitment to Ukraine is stronger than ever. Uh, Again, this sounded more like a a victory speech at times, but there were some sobering moments where the president acknowledged that really the end of the war is not clear uh, and that this could go on for quite quite a while and that he needs the support of all uh, NATO allies, all of them together, standing strong to make sure that the threat that Russia poses um, it doesn't go any further than it has and that they are able to stamp it out. Uh, at the end of the day, this was as much a message for the NATO allies as it was for the American public as well. Um, polls have been showing domestically the support for the war has been waning and that all this money and aid that we've been sending to Ukraine, a lot of people aren't happy about that. And so the president uh, made sure to talk about how this is bigger than just one country. It's not just about Ukraine. It's about security being under threat, democracy being under threat. What we didn't hear today, though, were any details about a plan for negotiations, uh, perhaps an off-ramp for this war. Uh, There were no specific details, no specific proposals or blueprint about where we go from here. This was more of a big-picture speech. Faith, he's the first U.S. president to travel to a war zone an active war zone where U.S. troops are not involved. What is the significance of that? I mean, it's really significant. When you think about just how all of this came about, right, after months of months of secret, secretly planning this, um, this happening in the wee hours of the morning, um, the president using a smaller plane than he would during a situation like this, uh, then getting on a plane, riding on a, a, a train for 10 hours to get to Kiev, uh, air raid sirens, you know, blasting while he was still there. Very remarkable. As you said, no U.S. president in modern times has been in a, an active war zone where we don't have troops on the ground. So this is uh, very significant. You can see the uh, how pumped President Biden was that he was able to go into that war zone and look at Kiev, uh, a Kiev that you know, Russia was trying to actually take over about a year ago, now in a situation where it allowed you know President Biden to actually go there and visit with the the president there. So this is remarkable, uh, very significant. Of course, it took months and months of de- delicate planning, and it was just logistically complicated, according to White House officials. ABC's Faith Abube is with us from Washington. I want to kind of ask you a congressional question. So Vladimir Zelensky once again pressing the president for increased military assets. Specifically, he wants fighter jets sent to the Ukraine. He's asked repeatedly for that. Members of Congress have kind of been reluctant to make that commitment. The president hasn't made that commitment. Is there an update? Is there pressure that President Biden feels when meeting with the Ukrainian president to provide updated assets? 
I mean, there's certainly pressure coming from Ukraine. Um, you know, the Ukrainian president has been, uh, has been uh, relentless in asking for fighter jets. He, he wants more weapons. He wants the fighter jets. Uh, and that is something he's been asking for over and over again. Again, as you mentioned, the administration hasn't seemed to budge in that direction yet. But you have people like Lindsey Graham, at, you know, advocating on behalf of um, Ukraine, saying that, you know, if we think it's important for the president to head over to Ukraine and make this surprise visit, that it should be important enough to give them the uh, the assistance and resources that they need. So there is pressure growing, not just from Ukraine, uh, Ukraine's president, but also you saw Lindsey Graham also uh, pushing for that. And a few members of Congress have pushed for that as well. So we'll see whether there will be widespread support for the as this war continues on. But as of this moment, we have no indication that the administration plans to send those fighter jets. And Faith, as you were mentioning, that doesn't seem to be a, a, a longer term plan. Is there any sense of urgency other than on behalf of uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine, obviously, but certainly doesn't sound like the way Vladimir Putin is speaking, kind of blaming everybody else. It's like, hey, we're just, you know, it's not our fault. Is there any sense of urgency to this, or does this seem like this really could just drag on? I mean, there's a a growing wrinkle that's coming into play here. You have China that's increasingly uh, trying to get involved in in this conflict. Um, They've been calling for a way for peace, uh, a peace initiative. They're saying that they're preparing uh, maybe on, on February 24th. They plan to unveil what they're calling a peace initiative basically asking for Germany, Italy, and France to join them in trying to push for peace and negotiations. We don't know at this point whether they'll be able to offer anything to Russia for Russia to back off of Ukraine at this point. But you have this growing tension between the U.S. and China uh, with you know, Secretary of State Antony Blinken um, you know, warning China that if it's considering uh, giving Russia lethal aid, it should reconsider because there could be consequences. So, uh, you know, there is pressure for something to happen at this point. Uh, it seems like the Biden administration believes that uh, this war will go on for quite a while based on what they're seeing. Uh, it, they just haven't put a timeline on it just yet. ABC's Faith Abube in Washington. Thank you so much, Faith. Thank you, guys. The one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine happens this week, one year ago. It is hard to believe. Wisconsin's Afternoon News on WTMJ. That is some crazy music for some crazy weather in our direction. Yeah, get some of that niz. Yeah, now I'm amped up. Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) He's trapped under ice. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, So winter storm warnings and ice warnings. And I feel like we could talk to you for 20 minutes here because we got a lot to sort through. Where should we start? I would love to talk to you guys for 20 minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> My services are needed elsewhere. No, I know. It's been a, yeah, it's, it, it is a lot to talk about. It really is. I mean, you, you name it, it's going to be thrown at us here over the next 24 to 48 hours, guys. Now, there's a lot of pretty colors on the map that you tweeted out of like five minutes ago. Pink, purple, orange, dark yeah. purple across like the entire top half yeah. of the U.S. Talk us through yeah. what, the, what the map looks like and what we're expecting. 
Yeah, that Midwest map that I did uh, just tweeted out, it, it's like covers like a third of the country is under some sort of winter storm warning, advisory watch, blizzard warning, ice storm warning, you name it. Now, for us here in southeastern Wisconsin, most of the area, winter storm warning. Now, it's different from your typical winter storm warning where we're expecting everybody to see over six inches of snow. This is going to be a combination of snow, sleet, and freezing rain. Now, locations that we think it's going to be primarily freezing rain, which is south of Milwaukee, and a little bit away from Lake Michigan, that's where we find ourselves with an ice storm warning. That's the biggest concern right now because things have ramped up as far as the freezing rain talk since I spoke with you yesterday. Um, I could see locations... Walworth County, Racine, Kenosha County, away from the lake. Now, if you're like west of the 94, now you still will get some freezing rain if you're in the city of Racine and Kenosha and Milwaukee. But uh, I think away from the lake a little bit has the worst potential with this. We could see some spots close to a half inch of freezing rain. Um, To put that, yeah, to put that in perspective, like a tenth of an inch causes some pretty big problems on the roadways. A quarter of an inch is the threshold for an ice storm warning. And when they, you know, we start to get concerned about power outages and tree limbs down across the area, a, a half inch would be a really big mess here in southeastern Wisconsin. So we got to hope that doesn't play out, but that is something that we are watching very closely. So right in the heart of the metro, if you look at like Ozaki, Washington, mm-hmm. Milwaukee counties. Is it likely to be more freezing rain, sleep, yes. less, less sure. snow? Um, you know, I do think, now, again, take your pick. However, if I had a pick, I would take sleet yeah. and snow and freezing rain, like the mix of all of above, because you get a little grip with it at least, versus like that complete glaze of ice. And I do think here in Milwaukee and out to Waukesha, up towards Ozaukee County, Washington County, there is going to be enough of the all of the above type of precipitation that we shouldn't have that 100% rock solid ice. Now, that's still dangerous, just not as bad as a half inch of like an ice cube. You know, that Mm. could be accumulating across the roads across uh, our southern counties. And you tweeted out a picture also, Niz, of Grafton already getting out the salt trucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Milwaukee has already said that they've started their brine operation this morning, and they're prepped to salt the streets, the side streets overnight if, if need be. So is that yeah, enough? It's, a, it's underway. I mean, it helps. I mean, I was kind of talking to some people on Twitter, too. Like, brine, the, the mixture that they use, it's not like 100% like, going to stop ice from forming but what it does is it eliminates for it to like bind to the concrete where you're going to get more of a slushy icy you know stuff that isn't 100 percent grip to the concrete so i think it's a good idea to put that brine down um but yeah preparations are underway um i do think here in milwaukee the numbers are about three to six inches of a snow and sleet and icy combination of just crap to be honest with you i mean like <laughs> that's that's it um now our southern spots um that's where again i'm looking at about a quarter to a half inch of ice i do think if you're within a mile or two of the lakeshore you'll see less freezing rain than that and maybe a period of just regular rain but then our northern spots you get north of milwaukee we'll be talking about six to 12 inches of snow so um yeah so it's a good healthy snow and then you go north of there fox valley green bay up to wausau and over towards the twin cities one to two feet of snow so um this is a big winter storm um, it's a large, complex storm. It's multiple areas of low pressure that we're going to be dealing with for multiples of days.
All right, Niz, thank you. We'll get an update for you maybe an hour and a half or so. We'll check back in, okay? Yeah, stick around for that. We'll do a little bit more about the timing that good, time good. around. Perfect. I'll let you know. I'll let you know like when I think the worst is going to be. So join us then. That sounds good, Niz. Thanks. It is three forty-four right. at WTMJ. Major Garrett up next. Major Garrett is CBS's chief Washington correspondent. His book is The Big Truth. The Takeout Podcast is heard Sundays here on WTMJ. Major, thank you so much for being with us. John, always a pleasure. How are you? I'm good. I, I thought you might be on that trip to Ukraine once I heard the president landed over there. No, you know, that's the White House team's obligation. They're on the beat every day, every hour, and uh, they get to do the trips. One of the things that happened when I voluntarily and quite happily became chief Washington correspondent as I no longer have the privileges of flying on Air Force One as routinely as I used to or going on big trips like this. So that's their that's their thing, and I don't bigfoot my colleagues. So they were there, and I'm happy for them. Hey, I wanted to ask you about something very interesting that you've been talking about for a long time, and it's detailed out in your book, The Big Truth, a special edition of Red and Blue focused on the democracy and election denialism. This is fresh stuff. I watched some video of it today. What does it tell you about our democracy that you can get together with a group of more than a dozen election deniers who still believe that something went terribly wrong? So it was a really fascinating experience, just for the audience's benefit. If you want to watch this, it was a two-hour focus group slash town hall in Phoenix a week ago at the Arizona State University Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication. And it was 17 election rejectionists or election deniers about 90 students from ASU and some invited guests. So Frank Luntz, who's a very well-known focus group moderator, walked to people who have deep questions, suspicions, or just completely reject the 2020 election, 2022 elections, asked them why they thought what they thought. And then they engaged with me, my co-author David Becker, the Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, and the top Republican official in Arizona's most populous county, Maricopa County, about their election procedures. And it was just an exchange of ideas, back and forth. And I'm telling you, John, their suspicions are deeply rooted. They simply do not believe our elections are secure, are verifiable, or are trustworthy, even for people that they really like and that they vote for. That's how deeply they have come to mistrust and distrust our system. And it was a profound experience for me because I spent a lot of time researching what I think works really well with our elections. But whatever I've learned and whatever I've tried to convey in all the various different ways is not reaching these folks, not at all. And they're not insurrectionists. They're not violent. They don't want to overthrow the government. But they have deep doubts. And we need to, have a find, we need to find a way to have a conversation with them to see if we can find common ground, bring them back into a place where they're less prone to doubts and more willing to trust things that can be verified. But even when you put verified facts before them, they will say in their own words, oh, you're just trying to sell me, you're trying to hypnotize me, you're just trying to make me uh, believe something I shouldn't believe. I mean, it was a profoundly exhausting, yet at the same time, worthwhile experience. We all want every American to believe that their elections are safe and verifiable and just and the outcome is what it should be. But there will be this small group that we just can't yeah. convince. You looked them in the eye in this in this event in Arizona. We just had our election equipment audited here in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and there were almost no examples of anything wrong at all. How do we reach those people who are so hell-bent that 
we can't trust the system, it's broken, and people are cheating. Right. I mean, and their and their reasons for why the system was broken is that George Soros owns all the machines. He doesn't. But they believe that, or they've come to believe that, or that money runs everything in politics. Money is definitely influential. There's no question about that. But that's a separate topic from how we cast and count ballots. It's all connected to the Internet, and the CIA is in there flipping votes. It's not connected to the Internet. The CIA is not flipping votes in America. The CIA has a history of trying to influence elections overseas. I'm not denying that. That's a fact. But not here. There's no evidence of that. Never has been. And I hope never will be. And there's also linked to all those things, a kind of partisan sense to it, that Trump got a raw deal. And anything that is hostile to Trump or hostile to his lies about elections, they're going to be defensive about. And so there's a lot of it. There's so many things spun up in this space, John. And that's one of the things that I learned and took from it. It's not one specific case. It's not one piece of evidence that I could challenge or refute or recontextualize. It's a lot of things. Some of them are deeply emotional. Some of them are about their sense of identity in America and how things are changing around them. Some of it is embedded hostility to COVID restrictions. And since many of the adaptations for the 2020 election in specific grew out of the COVID pandemic adaptations, they hated those adaptations. Therefore, they hate the way the election was run. Therefore, they don't trust it. It's a real complex mix. And I will tell you this. Having done this two-hour thing and met them afterwards and talked with them, I'm going to sort of have this unexhaustible reservoir of willingness to meet these people where they are and just listen to them. Because one of the things that came through is they don't feel anyone pays attention to them, that no one listens to them, and that deepens their sense of alienation that borders on rage. Major Garrett is with the CBS's Chief Washington Correspondent. All right, Mayor, you only got about a minute and a half yeah. left, but I needed to ask you about Ukraine. The one-year anniversary is yeah, this week. Sure. I find myself wondering, okay, we sent tanks and Russia threatened that might put us over the edge. Now Ukraine mm-hmm. wants airplanes, jets, and Russia's saying, you know, yeah. all options are on the table. How do we weigh, how does the administration weigh helping Ukraine and doing the right thing versus really risking escalation that could be catastrophic? incrementally, which is the way they have waited, because things that were not acceptable or even imaginable eight or nine months ago, we're doing now. And the question will be for the United States, for the Biden administration, for all European governments, how does Ukraine win or how does Russia sue for peace? Those are the only two acceptable outcomes. That's what President Biden said in Warsaw today. Ukraine will never lose. Well, if Ukraine will never lose, then Ukraine must win or Russia must sue for peace. How do you achieve that? Is it by repelling one last big spring offensive, which the Russians are clearly planning? And how do you do that with the material that NATO and the United States can provide? Japan is stepping up in a big way. You've got to keep China out of this conflict, either diplomatically or in terms of giving Russia lethal assistance. We don't want this to be a three-superpower war over the fate of Ukraine. So the next six to eight months, or I would say the next six months, are going to be crucial in determining what the answers to those questions are and how do they manifest on the ground so Ukraine can win or the Russians will give up and sue for peace. Major Garrett is CBS's chief Washington correspondent. If you'd like more information about the stuff we discussed, The Big Truth is the book you need to read. It is Major's book. Check out The Big Truth with David Becker. Thank you so much, Major. We always appreciate you taking some time. Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate it.